This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Good morning, everyone. You are listening to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. My name is Kate Copsey, and I am the host of the show. You can contact me from my webpage, katecopsey.com, or through America's Web Radio station site. This morning, we are going to talk to Craig Lahoulier, also known as the North Carolina Tomato Man. Good morning, Craig. Good morning, Kate, and uh, thank you so much for this opportunity. As uh, as my friends will tell you, once you get me talking tomatoes, um, well, it, it can take a while. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, I guess um, they call you the North Carolina Tomato Man. So let's start with maybe when you started growing tomatoes and what captivated you about them. Sure. Well, you know, really the story goes back to uh, my grandfather and my father, primarily because of the love of gardening that they instilled in me in a very, very early age. Uh, my, my grandfather had a, just a beautiful garden behind his house, and I remember walking through, and he'd show me his sweet peas and dahlias, and he grew strawberries and tomatoes, and I didn't eat them back then, but when you're two or three or four years old, you're just fascinated with the appearances of things, or some of us are. And then my dad used to take me to a local park, and he'd show me the portulaca and the cleome and the dahlias and, again, all of the different flowers. And that led to an early backyard garden, but still, in an early age, not a tomato eater. Um, my grandfather then convinced me to eat one of his wonderful tomatoes at maybe the age of 12, and it became a staple in, in my diet. But really, the one of the key then factors for, for my own gardening experiences was when I married my wife, Susan, in 1980. One of the first things we did was go to our community plot at the graduate school that I was at up in New Hampshire. And we rented a plot, and we went to the nursery and got our six packs of vegetables, and it was just so much fun. And I'm a chemist, so chemists love to cook, they love to eat, and uh, they love to garden. So it all kind of worked out, and... I guess the obsession with tomatoes then just carried on after that, after discovering that probably it's the crop that has the most appeal to me because of the diversity of colors and flavors, the wonderful stories that are associated with many of the varieties, um, many of the heirloom varieties that have been handed down year to year. And and I almost think of them in, in the same type of analogy to wine drinking where you've got nuances and you can taste tomatoes and find different flavor components, mild and sweet, uh, tart, complex. Not to mention and, all the different colors of them, which, uh, yeah. yes, uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, and I think one of the fascinating things um, about heirlooms particularly is not just the variety and taste, but as you say, it's the people that saved them and that bring the stories along. Um, some were handed down from generation to generation um, and they came across the ocean and came with people. And uh, so I guess that that would be kind of, is that the side of the tomato business that you really find as fascinating as uh, the tomatoes themselves absolutely kate and so i have we can talk a bit later about my garden but right now because we wanted to situate our tomatoes and peppers and eggplant the real sun loving crops where they get the most sun in our property they're in our driveway so uh, we we sell plants in the spring just as 
it's more of a hobby than anything else, just in trying to get local people to rally to try different things. So we've we've introduced a lot of local gardeners to varieties they never would have, they never heard of, never mind thought of growing. And I tell people it, it's like a living museum. It, it's a laboratory where you can grow and try things and experiment on things. Yeah. But, it's, but it's a museum of stories, and I can take people through, and they may see a tomato plant, but I may see... Radiator Charlie living in West Virginia, um, developing his tomato mortgage lifter, or I may see Mr. John Green from Sevierville, Tennessee, receiving the tomato from his neighbor that he sent to me that I, that I named Cherokee Purple back in 1990. And, you know, you, you can just have the most wonderful time, especially captivating young people, taking them through your garden and enticing them with these stories of of tomatoes, and I, I think a lot of people have never thought of gardens as an incredible teaching museum to connect us with our legacy. Yes, and you know, and I, I think you know, with tomato probably being um, one of the the most common things that uh, people grow, I've noticed in the cali- uh, in the catalogues and things, there are just so many of them. Is that is that an indication maybe that they cross pollinate really easily? And if you've got kind of, and you try and save a seed from one, particularly if you're growing several different varieties, that you might get another generation coming out. Well, it's it's. That's a great question that we could spend maybe five complete shows on. And I think we have to mention the incredible relevance of the formation of the Seed Savers Exchange in 1975. Um, So a a typical gardener, maybe in the 1940s, 1950s, would open their seed catalog and and be able to choose from maybe 20 or 30 types of tomatoes. And the vast majority of them would, would be red. Uh, Many of them would be hybrids. And so a lot of these really interesting, colored, wonderfully flavored varieties were sprinkled around the country or other countries sitting in a seed cellar or sitting in envelopes on shelves. And they were only grown by maybe people in a particular neighborhood or a family. And all of those colors and shapes, people look at heirlooms and they think, wow, I'm now able to grow tomatoes the way people did you know, 50 years ago or 100 years ago, when in truth, there has never been a better time to grow an incredible varieties of tomatoes than the dates maybe from about 1980 onward, when people joined the Seed Savers Exchange, some of these obscure, wonderfully colored family varieties found themselves available for people to trade for, and then wonderful young seed companies started up to feature heirlooms, and you know, your, your choices of tomatoes went from 50 to 9,000 if you're a member of the Seed Savers Exchange. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I, I think there, there are just so many different varieties out there. And I know I, I was at, um, I think it was a seed swap when we were mm. in one of our previous locations. And then there was somebody on the side talking. And I picked up one of the tomatoes and, you know, they were give, giving them out and it didn't actually have a name. And the only thing I've got it written down as on a little seed packet, because I saved the seeds, it was a great tasting green tomato, but yeah. I just had it down as the ugly green tomato from the seed <laughs> sale. <laughs> and one of these days it might have an official name, but it's gone down yeah. down in my catalogues as just being the ugly green tomato. <laughs> well, you, you know, you raise a good point. And to finish a really important point that you brought up a few minutes ago, so through history, tomatoes will cross-pollinate. And so if you're growing a yellow tomato 
next to a red tomato and it, the bees visit the flowers at just the right time because tomatoes will self-pollinate. The, the, the flowers are perfect. They have both male and female parts. And what happens is as the flower opens, the, you get the pollen brushing against the pistil and the tomato forms. So even if the bee visits the flower after that happens, you'll be fine. About 5 to 10% of the time, and it happens especially during the, the heart of the season where the bees are just incredibly busy, you can walk into your garden and you can almost hear the vibration of the bee activity. Seeds saved from mid-season tomatoes are more likely to be crossed. So what I do as a seed saver, because I like to grow a lot of varieties and I have been planted quite closely, is I will save seed from the first truss of tomato that sets. And I've found through my research through the years that I have about a 98, 99 plus percent chance of that coming true. So it's all about really when the bees visit your flowers and knowing the travel patterns. Uh, many of the other colors also arose through history as spontaneous mutations. Um, so a tomato that's green will just have a genetic change, and if people are lucky enough to grow a particular seed, they'll have a different color. They'll save seed from it, and it will be stable. So all of this rainbow of colors and shapes and sizes that are available to us now are due to very observant gardeners, lucky gardeners, gardeners that are lucky enough to have grown the thing that doesn't look normal. They love it, and then they save seeds from it, and each year it becomes better. And, and the, how you call your, that tomato that you found, the ugly green tomato, is also a way that names proliferated. So a pink tomato, maybe a ponderosa, ended up in North Carolina, grown by a German family. And down the road, there was a family named Johnson who grew the tomato. Maybe through the years, that tomato became German Johnson, where if you were to track it back in history, it was actually Ponderosa. So there's no doubt that we have many instances of synonyms. Uh, I guess how I would put it is, even though there's 9,000-plus varieties in the seed savers exchange, that may represent no more than one or 2,000. It's just through the years, names get lost, new names get applied. You know, seed companies and, and their uh, enthusiasm to create sales may tweak a name a little bit to create something different. Um, so lots happens, and we, the avid tomato gardeners, are the beneficiaries of this incredible array of diversity that we get to play with in our garden. And, of course, there's only so many that uh, people can put into a garden. I mean, I, I grow so many different varieties, and, you know, I'm looking at it, my garden right now my raised beds and thinking, okay, so I've got the peas are still in there. I've put the beans in among the peas. Now, where, where was I going to put in the plan the tomatoes? Oh, gosh, the peas are still there, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, oh, by the way, they all germinated and, you know, they're all going to need a space somewhere else as well, um, not to mention the peppers and some of the squash. So it's kind yeah. of a constant juggling thing. And, and it also calls for, what I like to do is take kind of a breath before the seed catalogs start coming in, or even maybe while the seed catalogs are coming in, because we all know how much enthusiasm and excitement, you know, going to the mailbox and opening these catalogs that, that make us drool because we see pictures of things that we can't wait to grow. <laughs> That's when I like to sit down with a pad and a pen, and I start creating a plan, and, and I, I know what my seed collection is, I know what I like to eat, I know what my garden area is, and I start 
Well, mine kind of looked good on paper, but I, you know, it, it kind of, I guess these things kind of shift a little as, as, um, you know, I I always have this rather pessimistic idea that particularly with the heirlooms, they're not all going to germinate and then down me, you give them a good pot in soil and they, they seem to. But, um, yeah. yeah, I did it. I did a study uh, when I first saw so my conversion from heirlooms to hybrids happened back in mid 1980s. Once I discovered the seed savers exchange, I, I wanted to convince myself that heirlooms will grow fine because you read a lot of seed catalogs at the time, and they they did rain doom on those who would try heirlooms. You you must grow our hybrids because, and, and of course we all know that if you say seeds from hybrids, they don't come true. You get mom, dad, little kids in between, but nothing quite like. Yeah, because they would, they wouldn't have been passed down from one generation no. to the other if they suffered from horrible diseases and split and things sure. like that. But, you know, we need to go for our first commercial break here, yeah. Craig. But we'll be back talking more about tomatoes with North Carolina's tomato man, Craig LeHoulier. When we come back, we'll talk more about some of the favorite tomatoes and the fascinating stories. America's homegrown veggies will be back in just a moment. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. When gardening is part of your life, it brings so much. Healthy eating, the freshest, most local produce, and playing in the dirt. At bonnieplants.com, you'll find all you need to succeed. When you grow bonnie veggie and herb plants in beds or containers, you'll know where your food comes from. Homegrown veggies and herbs ready for cooking, eating, and enjoying. And you did it. So get growing with Bonnie Plants. Hi, I'm Paisley McDonald, and I'd like to invite you to listen to my show, At Home with Paisley, every week, Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern, for practical advice and stylish living for your home and office. Today's consumers find themselves faced with a greater variety of choices than ever before, both in the food they eat and the information they receive about that food. Feedstuff's Food Link was created to provide you with a balanced source of information for making decisions about your family's balanced diet. Visit FeedStuffsFoodLink.com to learn about your food directly from the source, the people who work every day to provide it. FeedStuffsFoodLink.com, connecting farm to fork. This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. Remember, you can catch up with us on Facebook at America's Homegrown Veggies. And if you miss any shows, you can find them on americaswebradio.com webpage and you can find them on iTunes and Stitchers. This morning, we are talking with Craig Lutulier, also known as the North Carolina Tomato Man. Um, And Craig, we talked about some of the general things about um, heirloom tomatoes and their fascinating uh, histories. So asking you which ones would be your favourites, would that be a little bit like getting you to try and pick your favourite child and, oh, by the way, there's that one I like as well? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, Kate, that's a wonderful question, uh, and I get asked it often. So when I'm out giving my talks, I have a slide, and it's called My Top Ten List Now. And, and interestingly, many of those varieties stay the same year to year. And there's almost interesting phenomenon at play here where I think when you first get into a hobby and, and take it into your heart, 
you, you try certain varieties that you love. And even though you try different things along the way, it sometimes becomes very difficult to displace some of those. And many of the tomatoes on my top ten list not only wonderful flavored and uniquely colored, but have great histories associated with them. So I think it's that triumvirate of, of characteristics that keeps them. Um, and I think the, the tomato that um, has, it, 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 it almost um, puts me in disbelief to think of how it all happens. So in 1990, um, I was doing a lot of seed trading uh, through a great magazine at the time it was called Gardens for All. I think it became National Gardening. And they had a seed swap in it. And people would see who else is collecting and doing heirlooms. And one day I ended up with a package in the mail with about 10 seeds and letters saying, here's a purple tomato that the Cherokee Indians gave my neighbor. Hope you like it. Signed, J.D. Green, Sevierville, Tennessee. So when I saw the word purple, I thought, oh, it will be another pink tomato like Brandywine. Because <laughs> through history, uh-huh. people, oh, a synonym for pink was purple way back in the seed catalogs of the late 1800s, early 1900s. So I grew that tomato, and when it was ripening, it actually was one of the first of the so-called black tomatoes, where there was some chlorophyll retention in the flesh and the peel, which gives it a purple. Oh. It's a clear skin. I, it, I call it a clear skin um, black pink, which is essentially a purple. It was unique, and I'm thinking, this is a beautiful tomato. I really hope it tastes good. And they, so, look, you know, they look wonderful in the garden, too. <laughs> yeah, so we bring it downstairs, and uh, my wife and I cut it up, and we're like, oh, my God, this is a great tomato. When, for, so first thing, we need to give it a name. Uh, looked at the history. Let's call it Cherokee Purple. And the first thing I did, aside from listed, save lots of seed and listed in the seed savers exchange, was sent it to my friend Jeff McCormick, who runs Jeff, who ran Jeff um, Southern Exposure Seed Exchange. So Jeff grew it the next year, and he called me. Well, Craig, this is a really fine-flavored tomato, but it looks a little bit like a bruise on a leg. I'm not sure it's going to be widely accepted, but I'll tell you what, I'll carry it in my catalog. And so I now walk around, and I see Cherokee Purple sold in markets, and I once saw Martha Stewart package of Cherokee Purple seed. So... Somehow, this little tomato that I named back in 1990 has, quote, made it, unquote, and it's humbling and a bit weird when you see a tomato that you named kind of everywhere. Um, uh, when I'll go to market sometimes, I'll tell people, you know, I named that tomato, and you get this, nah, you didn't name this <laughs> tomato. And so I whip out a seed catalog and my driver's license. You know, the seed catalog has my name in it, and they're like, whoa, you did name that tomato. <laughs> Just a little amusing thing I do to kind of... I don't know, have a little fun with some of the vendors and such. Um, so that's one that, and, and interestingly, two related to that that I love. In 1995, I was growing a Cherokee Purple in my garden from Save Seed, and one plant started turning chocolate-colored. The skin had flipped from clear to yellow. So I named it Cherokee Chocolate, and thinking it may have been just a hybrid, I saved seeds from it, grew it out, sent it to friends. They're all chocolate. So I was lucky enough to have obtained a skin color mutation in that seed that I grew and Cherokee chocolate was born. I wouldn't call it an heirloom yet, and I use the designation heirloom for tomatoes that come true from seed that predate the 1940s. And the reason I use that date is because that's when Burpee put out Big Boy and really revolutionized the tomato industry, and most companies then went to creating hybrids and selling them. Um, so if Cherokee chocolate, created in 1995, exists in 50 to 100 years from now, I think I, I think 
someone, not me, because I'll be gone, will be able to call it an heirloom variety. And, and uh, so I guess if something was offered in the trade um, early in the 1900s, um, I guess they were commercially produced. And I don't know if they quite got as far as hybrids then, but would you also, because they were commercially produced rather than um, saved, would you also count, count those as a, um, a hi- uh, an heirloom in your books? I actually do, and the reason is they're wonderful tomatoes, and we really don't know how many of these tomatoes came about. Um, and it could be that maybe a commercial variety was developed and named, the name got lost, and, it, and then it became a family name. Um, and I'm glad you mentioned that, because the next story that I want to tell uh, is really a lot of fun. Um, I'm not only an heirloom hunter of family varieties, but I, I'm an avid collector of old tea catalogs because I love the whole history of how the tomato developed in America. So I have a good three or 400 catalogs from, let's say, 1860 up through 1920, and I study these, and, and I would love to write a book someday about the development of tomato in America using all of those tea catalogs. Oh, wow. That would be but, fun. <laughs> uh, yeah, it would be fun because I could use the woodcuts from the catalog, and I've actually located maybe 50 or 60 of these old varieties sitting in various places. So I would stroll through the USDA database looking at names. Yeah, I saw a tomato named Ferris Wheel. I didn't know it was historically relevant, but I just liked the name. There, there's, so I ordered some seeds. The next year, and it was a wonderfully flavored big pink tomato, you know, one, one and a half pounds, delicious. And I'm thinking, I wonder where this tomato came from. So I collected a seed catalog on eBay the following year, and I, from Salzer Seed Company, S-A-L-Z-E-R, 1897, opened it up. There's a picture of this enormous tomato with a Ferris wheel superimposed on it saying, introducing Ferris wheel, the wonder of the world, oh, the most wow. wonderful tomato ever developed. I swear no one had ever, no one had probably grown that tomato in 50 years and it was sitting in frozen storage at the USDA. So I essentially resuscitated it and got it, sent it back out to seed companies into the seed savers exchange. And now you can once again grow this wonderful tomato ferris wheel that people in the 1890s, maybe our grandparents and great grandparents grew, but for whatever reason was lost to access, maybe from the 1920s right up through when I found it in the early 2000s. Kind of fun, huh? Oh, I mean that, that that would be such fun to to grow that type type of uh, I guess when you find them in the old old catalogs and these are physical catalogs rather than the online ones that have been digitalized by the USDA or or, or somebody, right? Yeah, I've, well, I've, some of them have been, and I've noticed that certain people have digitized certain ones. Um, what I would like to do is really select through the best cuts and use them in a book where you could show. I would love to do a then and now. So here's Ferris wheel in the 1890s in a woodcut. Whoa, and here it is growing in my garden. Look at how similar they look. And we found it again. And we found a lot of the Livingston varieties like Favorite. And uh, in fact, I'm growing Favorite, Golden Queen, and Magnus in my garden today. And they're all from the 1890s. And uh, again, I think this answers the question. Can old commercially produced varieties be heirlooms? They have wonderful stories, and it may be the story of how someone found them again or is reconnected with them. And, um, and yeah, and I, I think people in the, in those days, um, you know, when they when they were saving seeds, particularly, yeah. um, you know, the stor- stories of them being handed down from one to yeah. the next. But were tomatoes particularly uh, were they popular back in the early 1900s? Or I got the feeling that it was more a more kind of a 1940s, 1950s veg- vegetable, if we can call it that. 
Yeah, vegetable, fruit, tomato, tomato. We could we could talk all about that, <laughs> couldn't we? Uh, but no, actually, um, tomatoes' popularity started popping in the 1880s and 1890s when seed catalogs started growing a wider diversity. And, and really, the what caused it is a lot of the early tomatoes. Well. We all know that tomatoes were considered poisonous by a lot of people in America in the early 1800s, and there are lots of reasons for that that we won't go into in this show. But uh, eventually, enough people from Europe, enough people from the South, Creoles, uh, people from France, who have been cooking these since the 15 and 1600s, convinced people that these, these things are wonderful. And so once seed companies realized the popularity of tomatoes, the effort to develop new varieties kicked into high gear in the 1870s. However, it would be interesting, it, it would be interesting for the listeners to get their hands on some of these known varieties from the 1800s to realize the goal back then was canning. We didn't have, you know, when you think about it, without refrigerators and such, what was the garden for? It was to produce food that we could eat in the wintertime. So nobody wanted to grow the big, lumpy brandy wines and German Johnsons and Cherokee purples. They wanted smooth, even-shaped tomatoes with very little waste that they could can well. So perfect tomato to those between 1880 and 1920 was a 6-ounce red, smooth tomato with a nice bite of tartness to it that would be canned nicely. Um, but, but I think... Uh, the hunger for Americans to eat tomatoes started in maybe 1870 and 1880, 1880, 1890, and continues really unabated right through today. It is in my opinion, every gardener's favorite crop. Um, don't you Don't you agree? Everybody loves to grow any <laughs> tomatoes, it seems. Yeah, and, and with so many different varieties, I guess, yeah. out, out there, um, you know, the supermarket ones, um, which I, I think probably in the 50s and 60s with the supermarkets taking over, yeah. Um, yeah. I think we've, for, fortunately, I think we've swung back, probably starting, would it be the 90s we swung back to thinking there's got to be more than that little orange uniform or red uniform tomato out there? I would say right around the mid-'80s, you're right, and it was when seed savers started getting their plants into farmers' markets and gardeners would start to grow them. And stores like Whole Foods and local farmers' markets would show up with the, the piles of the rainbows of the colors of tomatoes. And, and what, you, what you're always fighting against is kind of the bell curve of taste, which is red tomatoes, green peppers, orange carrots. And it's the people on the fringe who are a little bit adventurous, you know, the ones who want to try every flavor of Ben and Jerry's before they settle on one. Yeah, and you know, and I, yes, and I, and I think you know, in in all the the veggie lines, um, it seems seems like the the heirlooms have really caught on, and you know, as much for the interest and the diversity. Um, I mean, when you've got three different sorts of tomatoes, a yellow, a red, and a green, I mean, the nutrients in them. Are yeah. varied as well as the um, the aesthetic appeal, which you know is is all part of um, having fun in the kitchen. I mean, I confess I'm a lousy cook, so most of mine get get chopped up and mixed up together, and it looks pretty. There we go, I can do that. But you know, we need to take another quick commercial break here, Craig. Um, sure. But but I want to remind everyone you're listening to America's homegrown veggies, and we'll be back with more t- about tomatoes with uh, Craig Lehoulier. So come on back. And we will be back in just a moment. Do your children know where their food comes from? At ConnectingFarmToFork.com, there's all kinds of ways to help your child understand how 300 million of us here in America stay nourished, clothed, and healthy. 
Activities, food facts, and farm visits help young people learn about America's hardworking farmers and have lots of fun doing it. Visit ConnectingFarmToFork.com today for a learning experience that will really grow on you. ConnectingFarmToFork.com, brought to you by the people who care at Feedstuff's Food Link. Hi, I'm Paisley McDonald, and I'd like to invite you to listen to my show, At Home with Paisley, every week, Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern, for practical advice and stylish living for your home and office. Membership. Are you an IHC member? Access to the Institute for Healthcare Consumerism's breaking news, industry trends, expert blogs, and networking with IHC's industry-wide member community. IHC membership puts you at the focal point of the dynamic health and benefit industry, allowing you to join the conversation and collaborate with industry stakeholders and your peers. Your IHC membership includes a subscription to Healthcare Consumerism Solutions Magazine, Healthcare Exchange Solutions Magazine, annual publications Healthcare Solutions Superstars, and Healthcare Solutions Outlook, a free white paper, and much more. Sign up as a free IHC member or $99 premium IHC member today at www.theihcc.com. That's www.theihcc.com. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. You're back listening to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I am the host of the show, Kate Copsey, and this morning we are talking with Greg Lahoulier, um, also known as the North Carolina Tomato Man. So we're talking about tomatoes and the heirlooms, and we're having a, having a great time. Um, so we talked about some of the, the fav- favorites that you grow, um, and we, t- we ended the last one with all the different colors as much as the different flavors, which bring all the different nutrients um, onto the table. Have you worked with that type of thing at all? I haven't worked with nutrients to that to a great degree yet, but, but I am utterly fascinated with relationships of colors and flavors. And, and the reason is, as I think I said earlier on, for about 15 years we've been, we've been just as kind of a side hobby bringing seedlings to the farmer's market. And early on, people would be looking for, you know, we've got these tomatoes with all these marvelous names. Uh, we've got Aunt Ruby's German Green and Lillian's Yellow Heirloom and Kellogg's Breakfast. And people look at these tags and they're like, what are those tomatoes like? And you describe, well, this one's a big orange tomato. It almost looks like a pumpkin. And this one is the color of a canary. Well, but, you know, I like a red tomato. And so they'd walk away with Andrew Rayhart's Jumbo Red, great variety, red brandy wine. Over the years, I, I can be pretty convincing. And a lot of times what happens is you run out of a red variety and you get people to trust you try this and see what you think. And so here, 15 years later, some of my most popular varieties are Lillian's Yellow Heirloom and Cherokee Chocolate and Green Giant. And people have branched out. And so I think it's kind of mission accomplished on my view because what I've gotten people to do is trust me enough to help them make their gardens really interesting. And then all of a sudden... From five plants, they're coming back for ten plants. And Kate and I were just talking about, um, you and I were just talking about our tomato gardens and planting our gardens and squeezing too much in. So most of my customers are suffering from what you and I suffer from, Kate, which is how do we squeeze it all in? Because there's so much that we want to grow. And so this relationship between color and flavor, we've held, we've held, we haven't done it the last few years, but we did a, a festival called Tomato Palooza here for ten years where my customers would come and we'd bring all of our tomatoes and line them up by color. 
And so we'd have 100 people at a local park tasting 200 or 250 varieties of tomatoes of every color. And you'd go to the red table and the pink table and the purple table. And what I learned through that is there is not a real correlation between tomato color and flavor. There is a correlation between the specific tomato variety and flavor. So you can find a yellow tomato that's tart and sweet and bland and complex in a green tomato that's tart and sweet and bland and complex. So the color palette really can be opened up just to use creatively for anyone who like, you know, if you're a great chef and you like to be creative with your colors, don't limit yourself. I need, you know, I need a red tomato because it's going to be acidic or a pink tomato because it's going to be sweet. Just learn about the different varieties of flavor characteristics and the, and the sky becomes the limit. So, um, you know, our tomato plates in, in the summer, my wife, ended up sitting down with me and we've got a plate and I've got it set up and I go, okay, there's eight sliced tomatoes here. Let's start at 12 o'clock and let me know what you think of the taste of these on a 10-point scale. So we get a little bit analytical with these, but we end up identifying those tomatoes that are consistent year to year and those are the ones that end up on my top 10 list. And weather and culture and conditions can really vary the flavor of many varieties and you may grow a brandy wine one year that knocks your socks off and the next year, the weather's just not quite right, and you find it's uninspiring. So some varieties, if you, you've got to try them more than once. You have to go on and give them a second chance often because oh, it's just not the right year for it. Yeah, and, and of course, go, going to farm markets is a great mm-hmm. experience just in itself, um, but that's probably the best place to find um, some of the, these interesting ones. And then you yeah. can also save a few of the seeds yourself so you can grow sure. them out. Yeah, um, but I know that one of the other projects that you've got going um, yeah. is is the dwarf uh, tomato yeah. project. And I'm, I'm assuming that that's for people that don't have acres of ground and maybe just have a patio pot um, yeah. or container. Is that, is that the, the, um, the, the general audience that you're going to try and address? Would it be called yeah. a, a new heirloom at that point or just a... Yeah, a... yeah. So the genesis of that project, and thanks for asking about that, because that's, I'm always doing projects that perhaps is our most, most exciting currently. And, uh, you know, since we've been selling seedlings at the market, one of my most frequent questions was, well, I love Cherokee Purple and I love Sun Gold, but I'm not, I don't grow in a place where I can deal with eight or ten foot vines or put concrete reinforcement vine cages up, so what do I do? And really, the choices for gardeners to grow really great flavor determinant varieties or dwarf varieties, and we won't go into the distinctions now, but dwarfs are a specific variety that, is, that are quite obscure. Um, I think of them as indeterminates that grow at half the rate, so they do continue in fruit continuously all year. Um, I, I have a friend in Australia who is good at plant breeding, and we batted this around. And I also had a sea catalog from 1915 that talked about how they created a variety called New Big Dwarf. And I took, I took those together with my customer requests, and we set apart, we, we set upon gathering what is now a loose collection of about 250 people worldwide that are all amateur, all volunteer, and IT people will recognize the term open source. We, we talk in a discussion group, what the crosses are, what we're selecting for. And once we've got something we like, we give it away to a seed company. So since 2006, we've been doing this project now for eight years. We have essentially given 25 great new varieties to seed companies, and we choose kind of smaller ones that would that have done great work in the heirloom field, and we want them to have a feature that they can feature. And uh, 
we can get to some sources later. But these are plants that grow three to four feet tall, are extremely happy in a five-gallon pot. The useless tomato cages for indeterminates are actually extremely useful for dwarfs, the little cone-shaped ones that are three feet tall. And essentially, you can get your turkey purple-type tomato, your big greens and purples and reds and oranges and pinks. Ooh. on nice, tidy plants, and they're absolutely delicious. Um, we've given them names like Dwarf Sweet Sue, which I named after my wife, uh, Dwarf Mr. Snow, which I named after a local uh, newspaper writer here, A.C. Snow, who was kind enough to come visit us when we first moved in and tour our garden. So when, when you do a project and create tomatoes, you get to give them names, which is awfully fun. And uh, my view, uh, Kate, is they're out there now in the court of public opinion. People will grow them. They'll save seeds from them. If they love them, in 50 or 100 years, they'll still be around. So I would call them newly created open-pollinated varieties, non-hybrid varieties. And if, and if they're loved and kept and maintained for 50 or 100 years, um, when you and I are probably gone, <laughs> our kids and our grandkids and uh, nieces and nephews will probably be calling them heirlooms. So kind of a fun project, and I, I really love the fact that we've just done something fun, we've collaborated, we've learned a lot, a lot about tomato genetics and color genetics and flavors, and we've been able to just give them out to the public. And uh, when you do things and don't expect money back, you can have a lot more fun with it. And, uh, and so I would imagine the people that you collaborate with on projects like, like this probably have as many stories behind them as to how, how they ca came across this, this particular one or that particular one and what yeah. they like about it. So it's almost yeah. like you're, you're creating the story which we associate with heirlooms in general. Yes, and I would love for a future book to be the story of the Dwarf Tomato Project because it is unique. There's never really been anything like a bunch of volunteers just all getting together around a common passion. I've essentially been um, the main project manager in terms of, uh, you wouldn't believe, the Excel spreadsheet, the vials of seeds, the pads with colors. and So I kind of get all the seed, and then I redistribute all the seed, and then I assess all of the evaluations. So it's, uh, it, it is satisfied the stuff that I did when I was in my corporate world that I don't do at work, I now get to do that same sort of thing here. But it's a heck of a lot more fun sorting through <laughs> data of tomatoes than it is other things, shall we say. Yeah, and, uh, and, uh, and of course, I, I would imagine that, that the Internet has made that so much easier than probably in the 80s when, although there was an Internet yeah. just about, um, it's a lot easier to communicate and show pictures now. Yeah, I mean, Google is an incredible gardener's friend, with the caveat that you there, there is a lot of misinformation, like, like there always is, um, you know, newspapers, magazines, throughout the history of information, there's been great information and there's misinformation. We just have to sort through it. But, you know, for, for researching tomato diseases, for researching tomato varieties, looking at sources, um, Google is just, the Internet in general is just a great place to collaborate, to learn, to share. Um, so, you know, that's how you and I found each other. And uh, it's great fun, isn't it? Oh, oh. <laughs> And, you know, I, I think particularly heirloom um, tomatoes, you know, I mean, they've got so much um, flavor that you don't get from regular ones. And I think, think there's, been, there's had to, as you say, there's been kind of an education process along with that. The younger people seem to um, be a little more 
uh, open to uh, these different col- colours, but uh, I think the rest of us are kind of catching on. Um, I, yeah, I, know, well, I, I was we, a, I was at a um, I think it was a Whole Foods, and there was this big bin of heirloom tomatoes, and this yeah. little little Middle Eastern lady just looked at me and she said. Do these taste like real tomatoes? <laughs> and I said, Oh yes, they taste like real tomatoes. <laughs> yeah. Well, we eat with our eyes, don't we? And, and I think sometimes we we eat with our eyes, and we're accustomed to certain colors and flavors. And once we can kind of break through that, um, you know, I remember the first green smoothie I tasted. It's like, hmm, not sure I'm going to like this. But if it, you know, if there's lots of fruit and lots of sweetness in it, um, you can kind of overcome that. And I think. Uh, we, we in the heirloom tomato business have gotten a lot of people to overcome the biases that they have on the red tomato. And, uh, yeah. and they often, all of a sudden start saying, I think that yellow tomato is my favorite variety. And, and <laughs> then I say, yeah, yeah we did yeah. it. <laughs> I, I think the first time I, I grew the, the green zebra, I'd yeah. given a couple of seedlings to a neighbor who'd been helpful over the winter. And he was a, a mature um, ex-farmer. Um, mm-hmm. And he came up to me at the end of the season and he said um, – you didn't tell me those weren't going to turn red, did you? I said, "Oh, I, that well, it's called a, a green zebra," um, and he and he said, um, "That is the best." He said, "It actually almost fell off the ground onto the ground wow. because I didn't realise that it wasn't going to go red, but it was one of the best tasting tomatoes he'd had for years." Um, and, and and he he saved the seed so he could do it again the following year. Um, yeah. And it's just lovely being able to introduce um, other people to these things. That is wonderful. But uh, obviously the Seed Savers is a, a, a great group. Um, so, so did you benefit maybe from, from being part of that group, um, particularly now not, you're almost more, more self-sufficient than needing them? Um, well, with the, the Seed Savers Exchange, uh, when, I, when I joined in 1986, I loved what they did, and I actually got many of my early heirlooms through trades and uh, got so relatively expert and knowledgeable about their tomatoes, but I've actually been their advisor on tomatoes since about 1990 or so. So that's been a really great role, and uh, we'll talk about that. Yeah. Uh, you know, the seed savers and I will chat about different tomato varieties <laughs> and keeping history straight. So oh, that's yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah, and, and of course, seed savers is such a, a, a great organization. Um, but, you know, we need to take our final commercial break here, uh, but come back, everyone, and listen to more about the North Carolina Tomato Man and where you can find him because he does talks as well. We will be right back. Hi, I'm Paisley McDonald, and I'd like to invite you to listen to my show, At Home with Paisley, every week, Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern, for practical advice and stylish living for your home and office. When gardening is part of your life, it brings so much. Healthy eating, the freshest, most local produce, and playing in the dirt. At BonniePlants.com, you'll find all you need to succeed. When you grow Bonnie veggie and herb plants in beds or containers, you'll know where your food comes from. Homegrown veggies and herbs ready for cooking, eating, and enjoying. And you did it. So get growing with Bonnie Plants. Who is or what is USJF? It is a nonprofit legal organization founded to protect our rights through the U.S. Constitution. Active in educating the public, USJF has also contributed directly and indirectly to legal defense efforts in many celebrated cases involving fundamental conservative principles. Cases of note include the Mount Soledad Cross case, the Arizona Immigration Law case, the Obama eligibility cases, 
the NDAA illegal detention issue, and many more. Help this nonprofit as they help you. Visit www.usjf.net today. This is Dr. Susan Blank, Medical Director for the Atlanta Healing Center. Our team is able to offer a multitude of treatment options, such as quantitative EEG, also known as brain mapping, hormonal and nutritional assessments, neuropsychological testing, and cognitive therapy, along with traditional 12-step facilitation. And we can even offer you, if appropriate, a gentle medically managed detox. Please contact us at 770-696-9862. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. I hope you're enjoying America's homegrown veggie show this morning. We have been talking about tomatoes with the North Carolina tomato man, Craig LaHoulier. And, and Craig, let's start with um, your webpage. Um, there, there, I guess you've got a webpage under a blog, and it's held under NC Tomato Man. Is that right? Or one word? Yes. If people actually just uh, go to, um, you can actually put in nctomatoman.com, and it will get you there. And uh, there's a front page where I pretty much introduce who I am, and at the bottom is some news where, where I'm speaking and such. And then there's a page that's for our, our spring seedling sales. And even though that's local to Raleigh, you can actually go in there and see some of the varieties that we have because I have some histories associated with that. And then I'm trying so hard to be a disciplined and good blogger. So the, the third page of interest is uh, my daily, almost daily blog. Oh, wow. And, and you know, Kate, I, the, the blogging thing is interesting, and I've decided that even though a few people comment on it, I know quite a few people look at it, but actually I'm blogging for me because it's writing practice, but it's also a diary of what you're doing in the garden. And I can now look back to 2009, at at given months of each year and figure out what I was doing in the garden that year. And it's a pretty honest blog. It's it's not a everything's wonderful, I'm a great gardener, I make things perfect because I'm a gardener and therefore nothing is perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Gardeners are extremely optimistic people because each year we have failures and each year we have winter and winter makes the failures and the blues go away and the seed catalogs come in and we want to do it all again. So we're just incredibly <laughs> positive, optimistic people. But I am dead honest about those things I try that don't work well. Oh, and, yes, and, and we all peter out in the middle of summer. <laughs> yeah. So, that, so, you know, people are happy. And the other thing I try to be really good on is email. So if, you know, nctomatoman at gmail.com, if people have questions and they, they ask for advice on, uh, I think that's something I did learn in the corporate world is that if somebody asks you something, it's really good to get back to them right away. So, um, oh yes, <laughs> I, I kind of pride myself on that. Yeah, um, and and you do talks, I, I I assume in in the the Raleigh area, is that right? Yeah. So I, I frequently have local talks around here at garden centers and at parks. Um, the one that I really tend to get, well. I think the talk that I've been most excited about is as I've given a keynote at the Seed Savers Exchange out in Iowa, and that was just great fun. I think um, the organization has meant so much to me over the years. The opportunity to go back there and speak was just one of the one of the most uh, meaningful moments in my life, perhaps. And uh, just being out there is just wonderful. It, it's kind of the birthplace of, of my passion. Uh-huh. And then um, I frequently talk at Monticello at their Harvest Festival. Uh, which happens in uh, September, and people can look at the front page of my blog for the date. 
So I'll be giving two talks there this year, uh, one on tomatoes, growing, growing tomatoes in the southeast, and lots of pictures and talking about flavors and colors and stories. And then I'm going to do a new one uh, where I discuss what we talked about earlier is the development of the tomato in America, what, the, what they look like in the catalogs and what a lot of them that I've rediscovered look like now. And there'll be lots of scans and slides of pages of old seed catalogs and garden pictures, and we can talk about what they tasted like. And So that I look forward to those. And uh, You keep a list of these on, on your uh, web page as well? I don't think it will be a surprise to anyone listening to this that, that I, I do like to talk about this stuff. Um, and it's, um, I think my wife has learned to be polite, and sometimes I think she blanks out very effectively when I'm talk- telling her about the garden because there's probably nothing she hasn't heard before, but she's really nice about it. <laughs> uh, so I'm glad you're list- a lot of your listeners today will have just heard this for the first time. So um, oh, I'm sure, yeah. sure a lot of them can associate with that. <laughs> Because spouses sometimes aren't quite as supportive, maybe, of taking over every window with um, with watering cans and seedlings. And but you 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 sell the seedlings just locally. You you're not a mail order place, is that right? No, we 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 do it locally because it really is not a major income source for us. It's more of a hobby that's grown only slightly out of control, and we. We do it, so the reasons behind it are, are to get great varieties out locally, and we really just do enough to support the gardening hobby. And then beyond that, we do a lot of donations to, you know, food gardens and church gardens and such like that for, of the plants. It's, you know, you, you never want to kill a plant, and these are wonderful plants, and the whole idea is to get them out there so people will grow them. Yeah, and, and I believe you've got an upcoming book that's due out at the end of the year, is it? Yeah, um, so... It, this is great. Since um, maybe the early 1990s, uh, my wife Susan, who's a wonderful um, motivator and supporter of me, has been saying, you need to write your book, Craig. And I'm thinking, well, I'm still working when the time is right. And I was delighted to be approached by Story um, a couple of years ago, Story Publishing, and they asked me to write a book on tomatoes. And I was really excited about this. So the book um, is called Epic Tomatoes. It will uh, be released from Story Publishing in December. And what I'm hoping it, it depicts is an awful lot about tomatoes, and we're talking, you know, some history and culture. Uh, but I wanted it to be a book that only I could have written, so it will feature a lot of the tomatoes that are on my top ten list or tomatoes that have particularly interesting stories or that I've been involved in the development in. Um, and lots of other tomatoes as well. Some of our favorite recipes. Um, lots about doing your own garden projects, such as dwarf, you know, breeding breeding other tomatoes, um, and showing an example of our dwarf project. So that will be very interesting when that comes out. Because you know, I'm 58. It's my first book, and I really don't know what what's next after that. So, I'm, but I, I love ambiguity and adventure. So I'm ready for whatever little roller coaster ride that may put me on. <laughs> And it sounds like it's going to be a fun book as well. Can it be um, pre-ordered yet, do you know, from Amazon and places? I do know that the little placeholder has showed up on Amazon, and I've gone up, gone in and put on a, an author bio. I think I'll be working with my publicist at Story over the coming few weeks and months to talk about that whole strategy. Yeah. So not too sure about that yet. I, I do know that there's a, a bit of work left to do uh, naturally, um, Last year just happened to be my worst garden in 22 years. So um, some of my 
tomatoes for the book, shall we say, were particularly photogenic. Yeah. So we're going to take another whack at a few of those this year <laughs> as well, uh, and hoping hoping for a better garden. And and of course, we we should also men- mention that you're in uh, Nikki Jabor's uh, groundbreaking book. A wonderful book and a wonderful author. And uh, Nikki actually is, uh, I have to owe her um, a great deal of thanks for connecting her her editor, Carlene, with me through story. So um, really, this book, Epic Tomatoes, that comes out, um, they're, they're, you know, Nikki was a real factor in there. And I do occasionally pop up on Nikki's incredibly wonderful uh, Sunday uh, radio show, gardening show out of Nova Scotia, The Weekend uh-huh. Gardener. So that's been uh, Nikki is a great gardening friend that I've yet to meet, and I hope I do someday. Oh, she, she's a delightful young lady. Um, <laughs> so, so if people though wanted to maybe invite you to talk, uh, maybe to their group or event, is there, is there a way through your webpage that they could, there, is there a contact on there so they can get yep. in touch with you? Just email me nctomatoman at gmail dot com, and we can certainly talk about it. But um, I, I, any opportunity I have to get people um, really excited about gardening, excited about growing tomatoes. It's, uh, I think, um, as I told you on the break, uh, Kate, it's, it has enhanced my life. Uh, gardening gives you something wonderful to leap out of bed and, and go do every morning because something changes every day in the garden. There's something, there's something new to look at, something new to learn. And each of us who garden get to learn from other gardeners. So um, I never tell people, exactly how to do things. I just tell people, I share with people my techniques, and then I hope to learn from them what they do so that we can all learn these things together. And that's kind of the tone of my talks is, uh, I'll tell you what I do, you tell me what you do, let's all see if we can have better gardens. Yeah, and and so so it doesn't do quite quite the the how-to with fertilizers and things like that, right? Yeah, I just kind of share my, my, my methods, which may or may not work for people. Because when you get into insects and diseases and fertilizers, you start you start getting into philosophical approaches, where you know chemical, no chemical, organic, and I think every individual gardener has to make that choice himself. And uh, all I can do is share, but I, I would never get preachy about that sort of thing. And and so some, sometimes I, th- I think um, you know people do get a little confused because there are so many different uh, products out on the market. Um, yeah. I, I per- personally I, I think a good good amount of compost and some compost tea is probably yeah. a really good start for any any garden that's going to grow uh, tomatoes. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's uh, I mean all, all these heirloom ones uh, they are so hardy and they're so much fun. For, to yeah. be able to take a child or maybe even your postman uh, round to, to, oh, look, look what's coming, look what's coming here. Um, and, in fact, one, one of the things I noticed on one of my um, heirloom tomatoes, it was one of those really irregular-shaped tomatoes. When yeah, you actually yeah. looked at the flower, it was like it was a double flower that was misshapen as well. and that So it was all, almost like it was merged in the middle. Um, yeah. So that, that was kind, kind of fun. Yeah. I, I call them the marigold flowers, and many, many of the old large fruited varieties have those marigold shaped flowers, and that is something that actually has been taken out of the varieties and a lot of the breeding. So a lot of the, the newer hybrids uh, don't have those because the, the big marigold double flowers can create, um, they can lead to some very creative shapes, wouldn't you say? Yeah, oh yes, and uh, yeah, I, that, and that was the first time I think I'd actually looked at the flowers on, and been able to associate it with a specific um, 
variety. Uh, and it was just fun, fun to do that because, I mean, modern tomatoes, they just have one little flower and you get one yeah. little plant. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. And so, so you put that type of thing on your blog as well when, when you observe yeah. things, right? Oh, I do. You know, it's, so it's like peeling an onion. You can look at a garden or you can look at the plants in the garden or you can look at the leaves and then you start looking at the flowers. And it, 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 you can get to incredible levels of detail. I, it's to the point where I can look in my driveway right now where there's seedlings of maybe 120 varieties of tomatoes. And just by looking at the slight subtle differences of the color of the foliage <laughs> or the leaf shape, oh, I, wow. can, I can tell what a lot of them are. And it's just, it's just practice. And well, it's, I've, I've kind of been, I don't know if it's cursed or blessed, but my memory is still pretty good, so I can yeah. remember well, a lot of weird... Yeah, weird, 120 is kind, kind of... Uh, that, that's a lot of tomato seedlings, and I've noticed a few of mine are, are more on the purpley colour leaves. Yes. Um, but, you know, we're, we're right at the end of the show, Craig. I could go on forever <laughs> with this. Um, Me too. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, um, but that, thank you. You've been a, a great guest. Um, I've really enjoyed talking tomatoes with you. Um but thank you, everyone, for listening to America's Homegrown Veggie Show this morning. Um, I think we've had great, great fun talking all about tomatoes. Um, but we'll be back next week with another show talking all about growing veggies. Have a good gardening week, everyone, and join me back here next Saturday. <laughs>